and I have the do not disturb on. And I spoke to my brother and I told him not to call me. So he's not going to call me. Unless, of course, he wants to prank everybody and he will. Um, Bishalach, I want to begin with my favorite piece of Bishalach. Um, because for me, it's, it's just so beautiful. So even though, hello, so even though it is something that we have said in the past, it's, uh, it's gorgeous and we have to, we have to pay it homage. The Az Yashir comes up in this week's Parsha famously. Um, as a matter of fact, I have a little personal, um, connection to the Az Yashir because my daughter Shira is named after the Az Yashir because she was born right before Shavishel Pesach. Um, and Shira is, of course, a spontaneous song. Now, after three boys, when you have a girl, I think that calls for a spontaneous song, and that's why we named her that. But you'll notice that in, in typical Haredi fashion, we have to separate the boys' song from the girls' song. So you have this entire Az Yashir Moshe of Yisrael, and everybody's familiar with the words, so we're not going to go through them because we see them every day. Um, and they go through the whole thing, Hashem Ed, Kibasus Pro, etc., etc., and it ends... And after it ends, after the Shira is over, it says, And Miriam, the prophetess, sister of Aaron, took the bongo in her hand, and all of the women followed her with bongos and, and uh, dancing circles. And Miriam responded to them, Now, of course, you'd have thought that uh, why would... Why would she not be included in, in the song of B'nai Yisrael? When it says that Az Yashir Moshe B'nai Yisrael, why would you think that B'nai Yisrael excludes the women? Like, unless you have specific reason to think that it excludes the women, you think, you know, like, it includes the women, because guess what? Women are part of the nation, too, as strange as that may sound. So in the beginning of the Parsha, when Paro says, oh my gosh, Mazel Sasinu ki Yisrael me'avdeinu, I can't believe that we let the Jews out. He wasn't saying, I can't believe we let out the Jewish men, but the women can go. That's not what he meant. He means collectively. So why would Az Yashir not uh, include the Shira of the women? I mean, it, it intuitively should. And uh, furthermore, there is a the the structural graphics of the Shira. So I don't have a I don't have a Torah with me here. But if you're familiar with what a Shira looks like in the Torah, um, it, it doesn't look like regular lines. They're like broken, and it's you know like line, 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 line like that. It's very strange. It, it stands out. It's supposed to stand out. And all of the Shiras in the Torah look like that. So Hazim looks like that, and the Shirat Haba'er looks like that. That's how it's supposed to look. Um, Miriam's doesn't look like that at all. <laughs> she doesn't get any, you know, nah, we're not going to make hers nice. It's, it's so weird. Um, furthermore, the words Az Yashir are incoherent, you may have noticed, because Yashir means will sing, future tense. So, Az, then, Yashir, they will sing. Then they will sing. What do you mean, then they will sing? Then they sang. It's not then they will sing. That's, that's just, that's weird. Why would it say Az Yashir? And of course, it doesn't, it doesn't say that by Miriam. It does not say Yashir by Miriam. So she doesn't get the, she doesn't get the poetic graphic, and she doesn't get the Yashir, and the Yashir is incoherent anyway. And then the way that Miriam is introduced is, Vatikach Miriam Haneviyah Achos Aharon. Miriam, the prophetess, sister of Aaron. Miriam, the prophetess, sister of Aaron. Did she have another brother? Right. So the Gemara is like, Achos Aaron, Ivalo Achos Moshe. You're saying that she's Aaron's sister and not, uh, and not uh, Moshe's sister. That's, that's rather strange. Um, so Rashi quotes the Gemara that um, 
Why is she Miriam Hanavia? Miriam the prophetess. Hecha Nisnaba, when did she prophesize? Kishahisa Achas Aaron, when she was the sister of Aaron before Moshe was born, as the Gemara says in Sota. So, without belaboring the point too much, um, here's what I think is happening. And this is a, to me, this is a 90%er. This is what the Psukim are saying. Az Yashir, then they will sing, means that they did not plan to sing. Yashir, something happened that required them to sing. Yashir, they will sing. So there was some kind of external stimulus which resulted in a spontaneous song that could not have been any other way. Now, what was that stimulus? Whoa, how about this? Whoosh! So a, 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 sorry about that. So again, when you see a massive wall of water drown the Egyptian army when you just walk through, uh, you're overcome and you have to sing. Um, and in fact, we find in the Gemara, the Gemara takes Chizkiyahu to task for not singing by, uh, by the war with Assyria. It says that when Ashur under um, Sancheirev, under Sennacherib, marched on the gates of Jerusalem. This is after this is after Assyria had already exiled the ten northern tribes, which is why they're the ten lost tribes. The reason that they're lost is because they were conquered by the Assyrians and scattered, and we never heard from them again. Uh, and then when he ma- when he marched on the kingdom of Judah, he did quite a job on the walled cities. The Arabian Sirot, he burned them down, and when he got to Yerushalayim, um, he didn't think much of it. And he's like, oh, we'll kill them tomorrow. And uh, if you look in the Navi, Hushbaruch who sends the angel Gabriel to go and wipe out the Machana Asher, which he does. And the Gemara says, um, From the edge of the earth, we heard Zmiros. And the Gemara, the Gemara says, what do, you, what do you mean, What does that mean that the Aretz is singing? And it says, Chizkiyahu was supposed to sing. How is it possible that Chizkiyahu saw such a Yeshua, such a salvation, which is clearly out of the ordinary, and yet he did not respond with a song that, that is unforgivable, and the Gemara says that he would have been Mashiach if not for that, and whatever that means, we can go to that some other time. Um, but the point is, that's what the Yashir means. The Yashir means that they were overcome and they sang. Um, why was Miriam not overcome? For a very simple reason. She knew it was coming. She knew it was coming. Her Shira is totally different than the men's Shira. It can't be in the same category as the men's Shira. It's after a Pesucha. It's after a hard break in the Torah to tell you that it is a new topic. You should never confuse the Shira of the women with the Shira of the men. The men were shocked into song. The women, of course, were not shocked. How do you know they were not shocked? Simple. They brought instruments. Why would they bring instruments? If you're running out of your home and you don't have time to bring food, all you're bringing is gold, essentially. Right? You're in Fort Knox. You're not going to bring your iPad. You'll buy another iPad, honey pie. It's okay. Right? Your kid says, I need my iPad. No, darling, you don't. You don't need your iPad. Just get gold. That's much gold. You can buy 20 iPads later. Your Xbox, your scooter, whatever your favorite toy is, leave it. Just take gold. They didn't even take food. The women took instruments. They took bongos. How do you know? Because it says it in the Pasuk. She took a tof. Why is it telling you? Why is it bothering you? Bothering to tell you that she took a tof? Because it's an essential thing that she took um, a tof. And it says, They all had tupim. Why did they all have tupim? Because they knew it was coming. Now, they didn't know that this is what it would look like. They, they didn't know what form it would take. But they were quite bloody certain that God was going to do a miracle that, that would result in dancing. And the guys, on the other hand, were like, hey. you know, which is understandable. Um, so, of course, when it says, when did she give, when did she have a nevuah? She had a nevuah when she was only the sister of Aharon, because Moshe was not yet born. What was her nevuah? The nevuah was, Asid imi bain. My, my mother is going to have a child, 
who is going to save the Jews. She's going to save the Jews. This is when she was five years old. She was five years old. And, uh, and she's the reason that Amram took his wife back. And that's the reason that all of them took their wives back, because they had lost all hope. But she didn't lose hope. Why didn't she lose hope? Because she understood. She knew where this was going. And it says when Moshe was born, Nismali Habayas Kula Ora, the house lights up, and they understood this was a special child. And it says that Amram kissed her on the head and said, Biti Neskamed Hayek, your, your prophecy has, has come to fruition. And it says then when his mother was forced to put him in the basket and put him in the water, he hit her on the head and said, Biti Hechan Hayek, where is your Nebuah now? Great deal of a great deal of good that did us, and that's what the Gemara says. That's what it means when it says which is why it's so important to read the Torah backwards as well as forwards. Because once you read forward, now you can go back and re-understand what you already read and missed the first time. It says that his mom puts him in the shoebox and puts him into the into the river, and he goes floating around. and And his sister his sister was nitzav. It doesn't mean to stand. Goodness gracious, the word to stand means laamod. She wasn't omeret. Vatetatzav. Mityatsev. Means to take a stand. The word matseva is a monument. It's not a monument because it stands up. It's a monument because it takes a stand. A monument is something that stands for something. Right? Like the, the iconic statue on Iwo Jima. That is a monument because it stands for something. So she took a stand. To see what would happen. What do you mean what would happen? The kid's going to drown. Why do you want to see the kid drown? She says, well, the Mara says, Liro, She knows he's not going to drown. <laughs> She's like, this isn't going to drown. What are you talking about? He's not going to drown. I don't know how it's going to happen, but like, I know he's not going to drown. So I want to see. Where, where, where were his parents? His parents stayed home. Why? Because they flushed him down a toilet. Why would you want to see, you know, whether he gets eaten by an alligator or a frog? But she stays. This is Miriam. So it's Miriam Hanavia Achos Aharon. The five-year-old girl who's now 85. She's 85. She's an old lady. But she's five. The same Miriam Hanavia, Akosaron, that comes out with her little bongo drums. She goes, I told you so. I freaking told you so. <laughs> it's like unbelievable. So, of course, the women get a whole different, uh, whole different thing. Anyway, I think that's what's happening there, which is pretty cool. Now, if you go to the beginning of the Parsha, which we skipped just because that's my favorite born in the Parsha. I think it's awesome. So, so Hashem... Uh, doesn't want to send the Jews in the proper way because it's close. And Hashem is like, well, you know, if these people, they see some war with the, with the Philistines, you know, Jews and Philistines, yeah. Um, so instead, God brings them. So God spins them around towards the Sea of Reeds, and the Jews left Egypt armed. Well, that's, an, that's a very, um, I guess, abrupt Way to say something. It's sort of like apropos nothing. Uh, why are you telling? And, and God took them around and they were armed. Huh? What, what do you, why, why is that one, why is that one sentence? And God took them around to the Yamsuf and they were armed. That's strange. So obviously everybody knows the famous, the famous uh, Medrash that says that Chamushim is a language of Chamesh, which means one out of five left and, and four, four fifths stayed, which we've explained in the past. This is super important because if you don't understand, I mean, look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's the conventional wisdom, and perhaps what I'm about to say is totally wrong, but but I think you'll admit to me that what I'm going to say makes a lot more sense, or at least it does to me, and you'll, you'll tell me if I'm wrong, um, to say that the reason that four-fifths of the Jews, 80% of the Jews, had to die 
during Makas Choshech, so that the Egyptians wouldn't notice that they were dying, because, you know, Egyptians were notoriously awful at math. They were so bad at math that they wouldn't notice 80% of them are gone. Like, you wouldn't notice that, right? It's not like you would notice if 80% of your flock just disappeared. You'd be like, hey, I wonder where they went. Right. So that, come on, come on. Furthermore, furthermore, if you're telling me that there were 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. So you're, let's say, let's make a conservative estimate of 2 million people, including women and children and people over the age of 60. Let's just say it's a million and a half. How many Jews would that make if that's 20%? I'll give you a hint, multiply by five. It, it doesn't make any mathematical sense. It really doesn't make any mathematical sense. But of course, there's a much easier way to understand that using the same words, which is that four-fifths of them died in the days of darkness. So what does that mean? Well, so Rashi says, if you look at the Rashi in Makas Toshech, he says, I believe his language was. Um, he says there were Rishayim in that generation who didn't want to leave. Who didn't want to leave. Well, you know that God did not only take Tzadikim out of Egypt, yeah? How do you know that? Because our good old friends Dustin and Avira made it out. Yeah, yeah. So Korach was still a good guy. Dustin and Avira were not good guys, and they made it out. So God's not only taken out the Tzadikim. Believe me, he's taken out the whole riffraff, man. He's taken out the, the dregs, the worst of the worst he's taken out. So what, why did these Rishayim die? Rashi told you why. They weren't Stam Rishayim. Rishayim Shalom Ratsu Latzes. They didn't want to leave. We have a word for that. We call that Hitbolalut, assimilation. Meaning 80% of the Jews died in the days of darkness. What does that mean to you? It doesn't mean that 3 million people dropped dead in a week and were buried. You don't have enough bulldozers. It means that what could have otherwise been 80% of the Jewish people faded into the land of Egypt. And if you don't believe that that's realistic, then you don't live in the United States of America in the year 2020. Um, and by the way, you understand, and we've said this before, and it's obvious, that, that Mitzrayim, is a, Mitzrayim is a prototype for Galut, which is, of course, why when Hashem tells Abraham about the Galut, he's talking about Mitzrayim, but nested in there is a Machashikhag Adolano Felet, which all the Rishonim and the, and the Chazal explain is referring to the four Galiot that would come afterwards. And that's why in the first conversation between Moshe and Akash Baruch Hu, he says, what's your name? And he says, Ehiyeh, Asher Ehiyeh, I'll be with them in this sar, I'll be with them in the next sar. It's, it's not, you shouldn't think of Mitzrayim as, oh, we're in Egypt now, God's going to take us out and everything's going to be hunky-dory forever. Not so. Not so. This is the first of many to come. But the Torah doesn't tell you openly about those other ones. Why not? Because all the information that you need is here. So it does tell you. It does tell you. So, so nested within the Gullus Mitzrayim is all of the subsequent Goliath that are to come. In, in the, second, the second coming of the Jews, I shouldn't say second coming by Jews because then I think I'm talking about Jesus, but when the Jews returned to Eretz Yisrael, um, Actually, they, they returned to Eretz Yehuda to be specific because there was no Yisrael in the, in the second temple period. Um, when they returned from Bavel, so the Gemara in, in Kiddushin <laughs> has a parrot called Asara Yuxin, that there's 10 types of different Yichos came back from Bavel. And I'll give you a hint. They weren't the fancy ones. Yeah, they weren't the rich ones. They weren't the hoity-toities. The hoity-toities stayed back in Bavel. Very small, raggedy group 
of riffraff came back just like the first time of course just like the first time <laughs> again right it's always just like the first time it's always just like the first time that's why we say all the time i mean this is like this this is a nice little key that you can keep in your pocket we're so bloody obsessed with it's in every kiddish it's like shabbos shabbos You'll forgive me for saying so. Shabbos preceded Zechel and Mitzrayim by 15 billion years. Oh, just Earth? Four billion. What do you mean? We want to go literalist? Six thousand. Three thousand. Yeah? Why? How could Shabbos be Zechel and Mitzrayim? That's crazy. Everything's Zechel and Mitzrayim. We're so, we're so, uh, so obsessed with Zechel and Mitzrayim. The, the idea is, that the relationship that is forged between HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Jews is Yitzhiyas, Mitzrayim. So everything that comes after that, or even before that, it doesn't matter if it's before that chronologically, because the whole thing was set up in motion anyway to end that way. So it doesn't matter if something preceded chronologically Yitzhiyas, Mitzrayim, because everything that preceded it chronologically was just bringing you to a point where you would get out of Mitzrayim, and obviously in order to get out of Mitzrayim, you first have to go into Mitzrayim, and obviously in order to get into Mitzrayim, I have to make a famine because I have to get you there. You ever wonder why all the money in the world happened to make it to Mitzrayim under the authority of Yosef? So you could take it out! Why does God need Egypt? Wow, seriously? Seriously? God can't get the Jews to Egypt without a famine. Of course he can. Of course he can. There's a measure that says that, that Yaakov thought that the, that the Jews are going to be dragged to Egypt in chains. Because he knew they were going to be enslaved. How do slaves make it to a new land? Ask the African Americans. The answer is shackled on slave boats. That's how slaves, that's how the Jews went to Bavel. Yeah, that's how they left Israel. That's how they left Israel. That's not how they went to Egypt, though. Why not? Because God did them a favor. I'm going to make a famine. For who? The entire region. Why? Because if no one has food, but you've got food, then they're going to give all their money right here in one central location. What am I going to do with that money? I'm going to take it with you. That's why I put it there. That's why I made Egypt so big in the first place. So, though, again, Zechariah's time is the, is the origin of everything. Whether things came before it or after it, it's the touch point that is the the relationship between the Baruch Hu and Yisrael. This is, of course, why in, in, in one of the most beautiful, beautiful um, Nevi'ut, one of the most beautiful prophecies, which we say in, in the Haggadah, I mean, I wasn't going to go down this road, but, it's, but we may as well mention it. Um, when a Baruch Hu is describing the Jews, so we don't actually, we don't quote that entire uh, Nevi'ut, I think it's from Yirmiyahu, but I could be wrong about that. Um, and, and it says, uh, So if you, if you actually read that, says, when I found you, you, you were sitting naked in a field covered in your own filth and no one cared about you. Nobody even saw you. It says, nobody even saw you there. And I went over you, and I comforted you, and I put you under my wing. Right? That's the beginning of everything. What's that talking about? Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Yitzhak Mitzrayim is the birth of the Jews, which is, of course, again, as we mentioned last week, why we call it Mitzrayim, Mitzarim, from Sirim, from the uh, birth pangs. Sirim are contractions. Fine. So, ah, 
Yes. Okay. So that's what I think it means by hamushim, and that's why those people didn't get out, and that's why even bad people who wanted to leave did get out because at least they wanted to be there. Fine. Why does it say that they're armed? The hamushim. Um, well, the the beginning and the end of the parsha I think are uh, are twins. The when you read Parsha's Peshalaf, the thing that you're struck with, I think, most obviously, is the schizophrenic nature of the Parsha. The Parsha is clearly disturbed emotionally. Because you begin with Az Yashir. And God makes, I mean, it says, you know, Like the, the clarity of God's presence in the world was so obvious Right, the Gemara says, even little babies were pointing, Zekeli Vanvei, that's my God. We're not pointing at anything. It was just so obvious. So obvious. And then at the end of the Parsha, they're like, so you think God is here? Hayesh Hashem Bekerbeinu? Is Hashem among us? Like, that's the end of the Parsha. And, and not only that, but like right after, right after Shira's Hayam, what happens? What happens? They got no food, they got, they got no water, and they're complaining to Moshe, what are we going to drink? And you're like, so everybody thinks to themselves, everybody has this thought, I think, I think everybody has this thought, man, if I was there, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> like, I would never have done that. Of course you would have done that. <laughs> you crazy. If you think you wouldn't have done it, then you don't understand what it says. Because if you wouldn't have done it, it wouldn't be there. You understand? If they did something that you would not have done and they had to deal with it, it wouldn't be recorded in the book because the book's not for them. The book's for you. The book is eternal. So that means that this issue remains. Of course. Huh. And then not so much. Yeah, but that's that's kind of um I mean yes, there are similarities, we'll leave it at that. There are definitely similarities. So so you think to yourself, like how could this be? But you recognize that in the end of the Parsha there's a war. There's a war with Amalek. So the fact that the Parsha begins by telling you that the Jews left armed, um one obvious reason why that would need to be there is because that's where they're going. They're headed to war. So they avoid one war and they head headlong into another war. Um Next pasuk, pasuk you test on page three sixty six is bizarre. Vayikach Moshe asmos Yosef mo, and Moshe took the bones of Yosef with him. Ki ashpeah hishpias pnei solimor pakod yifkod lehim asem alisemat asposayim zeitchem because Yosef had forsworn the Jews to take out his bones. What? I'm sorry, this is confusing to me. Did Yosef had eleven brothers? Yes, Yosef had eleven brothers. Um, where were their bones? Where were their bones? Their bones? No, 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 they took them with. They took them with. How do you know they took them with? Because if you listen to the words that Yosef says, he says, You will take my bones out with you. Meaning, obviously, when we leave, your bones are going to be taken out. Promise me that you'll take out my bones with your bones. But it's interesting, because it doesn't mention openly that they took out their bones. You just know that they took out the bones of the Shvatim because, because we say that we took out Yosef's bones and that Yosef had forsworn them to take out their bone, to take out his bones with their bones. Well, that's weird. Who do you think took out their bones? Easy. They're kids. They're kids. What do you mean? Who do you think, who do you think deals with you when you go into the ground? Hopefully. 
hopefully, your kids. Right? That's what, that's what we want. That's what we want to happen. So, the Bnei Yehuda took Yehuda's bones, and the Bnei Yisachar took Yisachar's bones, and Moshe took Yosef's bones. What? Why did Moshe take Yosef's bones? Why did Moshe think... Moshe's from Shevet Levi. What's he doing with Joey's bones? The Bnei Ephraim and the Bnei Menashe should have fought for the honor to take out Zadie Joe's bone. But they didn't. Why? Hmm. Baffling. Furthermore, when would it be the appropriate time? See, so, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the Rashi, Rashi says over here, um, Rashi says over here, no, he doesn't say it. He doesn't say it here. So it's not Rashi. And the Gemara asked the question. The Gemara says, Chacham Levi Kaf Mitzvos. That's the language of the Gemara. Um, that a, a person who's wise of heart will take mitzvos because Bishash, Kol Yisrael, Askuba Bizam, paraphrasing, when everyone else was running around taking money, because which is what God told them to do, right? Daber Nabaz Ne'am, Bishalu Ishme Yisraelu, Bishalu Yishkita, Chayeshesib Kolezav Usmalos, whatever. Um, so when they were doing that, it says Moshe was was looking around for Yosef's bones. Moshe was looking for Yosef's bones while they were taking the money. So when should it have told you that Moshe took Yosef's bones? Then. Why does it not tell you in Parsha's bow that Moshe took Yosef's bones? That's when he did it. Weird, isn't it? Weird. Furthermore, if you ask most people on the street when the Jews left Egypt, like at what partial, they go, like, oh, Bishalach. Bishalach. That's when they left. Like, Bishalach, Paro was Ta'am. And it was when Paro sent out the people. But that's not true. They left last week. They left in bow. Why would you, why would you separate the NCS Mitzrayim by a Parsha? Why wouldn't this week's Parsha begin on page Three sixty. Why wouldn't you? Or, or on three fifty eight. Which is where this pasuk, this parsha begins, right? Because the next pasuk after Moshe took the bones is Vaisumi Sukos, and they left Sukos because Sukos was the first place that they went. So, why, why would you do that? Well, obviously because. Whatever you're trying to accomplish in this week's parsha has nothing to do with what you do. Well, not nothing to do, but it's not the same thing as you did in last week's parsha. Um, last week's parsha was about leaving Egypt. That's done. Now there's something else that has to happen. What are we gonna do now? Oh, now it's time to judge the Egyptians. You see, you, you might think that uh, God judged the Egyptians by the Makos, yeah? No, no. No, 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 that's not true. That's not true. The purpose of the Makos was God's coming out party. The purpose of the Makos is Viadu Mitzrayim, Kiyani Hashem. No, no, that I'm gone. Oh, no, no. Okay, good. Now they know. Good. Now they know. Now it's time to pay the bill. What's the bill? You threw our babies in the water. 
your turn to take a bath. That's the bill. That's the bill. How do you know that this is God's, this is really the judgment? How do you know this is really the judgment? You know, from next week's parsha, because it says, Yisro hears and comes. What did he hear? What did he hear? Well, it's funny complaining, but it says he heard that the Egyptians got drowned. The issue is the fact that they were drowned. That's the issue. Well, why is that the issue? We'll talk about this perhaps more next week, but because that's what they did. That's what they did. See, if the fire god has a fight with the water god, he could throw fireballs. So there's plenty of little godlets, and each one, you know, does whatever they do. The zucchini god can make sure that no zucchini grows, but he can't stop you from growing broccoli. But if God hits you where you hit, it's a very different thing. So Bishalach really has very little to do with the Jews leaving Egypt. They've already left. Who's the main character in Bishalach? Paro. Vayhi Bishalach Paro as Ha'am. And then Paro's like, oh no. Oh no. Can't believe I let them go. And in fact, God is sitting there going nanny nanny boo boo. Because what does Hashem say to Moshe? Good, good. Turn around and double back. Why? What do you mean why? Because I want Paro to follow you. Because if you keep going, he's not going to follow you. He's not going to follow you. Give him some breadcrumbs. Make him think you're lost. And in fact, not just that. Where are you going to encamp? Unbelievable. This this is mamish crazy. Page 368. Speak to the Jews. Let them turn around. Let them encamp next to Pihachiros, Chiros, yes, between Migdol and the Yam, in front of Baltzephon, facing him, you should encamp by the sea. Who's Baltzephon? An idol. An idol. God is like, I want you guys to park facing the church. That's so weird. You know, Pusik says, or Pusik says, no, 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 sorry, excuse me, not Pusik, it's Gemara. Gemara says, Zara. Um, I want to say that this is a drasha from Lose Hanim. Yeah, I think so. Gemara Zara says that, uh, that the, the, it, 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 the Gemara makes many different drashas of what Lose Hanim means. Lose Hanim, Lose Lose Hanim, don't, don't make, uh, don't give, Grace to to these nations. So one of them is Losi Tainim Chamayu Bakarka. You can't you can't let them uh, have monasteries on the land like they do now in East Jerusalem, the Greek Orthodox. I think the the largest landowner um, in in uh, Jerusalem outside of uh, outside of the land of Israel, meaning outside of the government of Israel, I believe, is is the church um, by by a large margin. Um, so you know how to do that. And one was Losi Tainim Chain. You can't say, oh wow, you know, uh, Michael Jordan is so beautiful. Um, and another one, I believe, is that you're not supposed to use them as a point of reference. I mean, you shouldn't say, make a right by the pagan uh, Mount Olympus. You're not supposed to do that. God's doing it! God himself, Big G, is like, I want you to park across from the Vatican. Why? Well, because God is taunting Paro. 
But in order to taunt Paro, you have to give Paro a string to hold on to. So it says, I'm going to destroy all the Egyptian gods except one. Except one. So Paro will think, maybe this one. Maybe this one's real. Maybe I can hang my hat on this guy. Facing him, you shouldn't camp. Right there. And then Paro's going to come at you. But see, it's interesting because, you know, we've discussed before that that there are there are two people in the Torah and only two who are called Tzafun, Moshe, and Yosef. Yosef is called Tzafnas Paneach, and Moshe is below Yachlod Hatzbino. They're the only two people that are Tzafun. What does the word Tzafun mean? So Baal Tzafon, one would say, I think uh, intuitively, means God of the North, because Tzafon, of course, means North. But the, the, the truth is, the deeper truth, is that the word Tzafun means hidden. So, for example, the, the Navi says, Mitzafon tipatah from the North, the evil will come. And you're like, oh, that means Babylonia, which is to the North. Not the point! Not the point! Mm-mm-mm. It means that the evil's gonna start where you don't see it. Where it's hidden is where it's gonna hit you. It means a phone type of I think that's what that means. Um, now, you, you can you can take this a step further, because if you go to the Gabar and Sukkah, the Gabar and Sukkah says that there are many names, I think seven names for the Eight Sahara, and one of them is Sfoni. Sfoni. It's Safun. Um, so it refers to the Yitzhahara, but the point is, it's it's something that is hidden. Baltzafon. There was a piece of doubt which was hidden. And this piece of doubt which was hidden, first of all, helped the Egyptians come at the Jews. Because after all that they saw, after all that they saw, after all their firstborns are buried fresh in the backyard, how are you going to come after the Jews? Got to be some doubt. Got to have some doubt. Got to be able to look yourself in the face and say, we can win this. How could you possibly believe that? See, because God always retains plausible deniability with miracles. So it's the famous Jewish story, right? This guy is... He's, he's got five minutes for his meeting with, uh, with Goldman Sachs, and he's going around and around the building, can't find a parking spot. He says, Hashem, please, please, I promise Hashem, just give me a parking spot. If you give me a parking spot, I'll give a million dollars to Tzedakah. And immediately, immediately a car pulls out from right in front of Goldman Sachs. He goes, oh, forget it, God, I got one. So that doubt, that doubt, which plagues the Egyptians enough to run after the Jews is the exact same doubt that plagues the Jews at the end of the Parsha. For them to say, hmm, is it real? Hayesh Hashem Maybe not. We still haven't answered how that's possible. But you see, so let, let's go back to the previous point. The two people that are called Safun, Moshe and Yosef, and Moshe is, of course, the one who takes Yosef's bones, and Yosef's bones were hidden and no one knew what they were. Why wouldn't Yosef's kids take him? For one reason and one reason only. They didn't want to. They didn't want him. But why not? Why didn't they want to take his phone? Well, presumably, because 
they thought Yosef belongs in Egypt. I don't think so. I think they think Yosef belongs in Egypt. Why do I think that? Not only do I think that they thought Yosef belonged in Egypt, I think that Yosef thought that they would think he belonged in Egypt. Why? Because he's the only one that made everyone swear to take his bones. Why would he do that? In fact, you don't even have to mention the fact that the other Shvatim were taking, because of course they took the Shvatim's bones. It doesn't even have to tell you. The only guy that has to mention it is the guy that's convinced that you're going to leave him there. Because they were going to leave him there. So Moshe gets him. So Moshe gets him. Now, of course, the really cool thing, the really cool thing about Moshe taking him out, Moshe being the only one to take him out, and therefore it's over here in the Yitzhiya, because it has everything to do with Mitzrayim. The reason they were going to leave him in Mitzrayim is because they think, well, Yosef is shy after Mitzrayim. Yosef is the Egyptian man. He's always been the Egyptian man. So was Moshe. Moshe is also the Egyptian man. So he's the only guy that's going to take Yosef out. But how, so the crazy measures, crazy measures, crazy measures. Medrash says, how does Moshe get uh, Yosef, how does he get the bones? Well, first he's going to go to Asher, and where is he buried? Okay, whatever, these two different days tomorrow. Let's, let's just take the famous Medrash. Famous Medrash, he's buried in the Nile River. Well, you don't think that's an accident, right? Because what is the symbol of Egypt? The Nile River! So, of course, Yosef's buried in the Nile River because he's the symbol of Egypt. So, Moshe writes on a little piece of paper, he writes, Ale Shor, which means rise up, Ak, because Yosef is a Shor, right? The Korsho Rohadarla. And he throws, he throws this little petak into the Nile River and up floats Yosef's casket. What happened to that little spitball that said Alei Shor on it. There's another really cool Medrash. There's another really cool Medrash. You know what the Medrash says? Medrash says that there was this guy who took it. And his name was Micha. His name was Micha. And what did he do with it? He threw it in a golden pot of stew and out popped a cow. That's the Egel Hazav. How did an Egel Hazav pop out? The measure says, Micha threw Alei Shor into the furnace and out popped the cow. Okay, well, let's not talk about what that means. Let's just talk about what that signifies for a moment. It means that Yosef is a problem. <laughs> Yosef is the biggest Savik in the world and the most dangerous man in the world. He's the Machalkel, he's the Mashbear, he gets, he's Yosef Atzadik, and he's also the Egel Azov. It's the same guy. And you understand this Micha is, of course, to be, he is hinted at in the Az Yashir, because it says, Micha Mocha Ba'elim Hashem. Who, Micha Mocha Ba'elim Hashem? What's Micha Mocha Ba'elim Hashem? Who is like you among the gods? What do you mean among the gods? There are no other gods. How can you say Micha Mocha Ba'elim Hashem? The answer is because there was because the measure says that there was a god, little g, with them. Pesel Micha. Micha had an idol with them in the Amsuf, which is why the Gemara says that the Malachim like halalu of the Avodah of the halalu of the Avodah Why are you saving these guys and not those guys? The Jews are just as bad. Okay, fine. Well, the point is that's why Yosef is here, I think. Now, and that's why it's Balsafon, specifically. So, so let's jump for a moment to what happens after... Um, to what happens after the Aziashir because it's, it's very, very hard to understand. So it says, it says, I mean, immediately after, it's like so, it's so visceral. 
Um, so Miriam goes out with her bongos, and again, she's always known this is going to happen, and Pasuk Yud Beis, uh, which in, in our, one second, is a page, so sorry, so sorry, um, page 380, Pasuk Yud Beis, 22, Yisrael Miyamsuf, and Moshe um, quite literally had to pry them off of the Yamsuf, because it says they were making so much money by Bezos Sayam. Um, they, uh, Moshe tears them away from the Yamsuf and they go for three days and they don't find water. So, um, so Targum Yonasan says, and this is a very, very famous drasha in the Chazal, he says, Moshe Means they went for three days without learning Torah. It says they went for three days without water. What it really means is they went for three days without learning Torah. Man, why did I get so religious on me? Wait, it's like this is this is the type of thing. Not to put it down, but let's put it down. You know, you're in yeshiva, right? You're in yeshiva, and uh, you get the shmooze, you know, the mashkia comes, as you understand, the yidin, the yidin went for three days without the vreitayro, and they were going to die because toiro is chayim. And you're like, okay, fine, but like, I've gone on vacation to Disney World for seven days without opening up in Gumara, and Baruch Hashem, everything was fine, we had a great time, like, I mean, you know, oh, oh, by the way, have I mentioned, they didn't get the Torah yet! Okay, so, so let's, obviously it means that, but let's understand what that means, like, on a practical level for human beings, like, you know, meatbag human beings, let's understand that. Put yourself just for one moment in, in the mind, okay? So we're like, oh, well, obviously... The Jews are leaving Eretz Mitzrayim, and they're going to eat a Torah on Har Sinai, and they're going to walk through the Midbar, and they're going to conquer the Shiva um, Umos, and then they're going to take over Eretz Yisrael. They did not have the benefit of your historical hindsight. Here is a massive group, a blob of human beings with zero structure, zero, being led by a stuttering rabbi, and his charismatic brother. And they just drowned the Egyptians. And that's a big moment. It's awesome. They saw them drown. And they took all their money. And now they're in a desert <laughs> holding money. That's where they're at. So it says, they went for three days. Three days without any sort of order at all. You understand the word pikudaya is a double meaning because of course it means it means um, mitzvos, which means commandments, but the word leaf code also means appointment. Meaning what the heck are we doing here? What's the plan, man? What's the plan? There is no plan. Nobody got an email about a plan. They went for three days, they're just walking and they're like, um what? What? What's happening? So it says they come to now. By the way, how does how does Targum Yonason pull that out of the pasuk? You understand he's he's a translator. How does he say, "Oh, they went without learning"? Like, come on, was he making this up? No, the answer is he's in the pasuk. Listen to the pasuk. 
Moshe pried the Jews away from Yamsuf. And they exited to the desert of Shur. And they went for three days in the desert. They didn't find water. If it already told you they're in the desert, why does it have to tell you they went three days in the desert? It should have said, But it repeats that they're in the desert. Which means that it's not telling you a geographical data point. It's telling you a philosophical data point. Yes, they were in a desert. I know that. It's telling you that they were also to be found mentally in a desert, meaning bereft. That's what it means. Marasa, and they came to Mara. And they couldn't drink water from Mara, because they were bitter. That's why we named it bitter. Let me read this to you in English. And they came to bitter, and they couldn't drink the waters of bitter, because they're bitter. That's why it's called bitter. You okay with that sentence? So, again, obviously, uh, there is no place called Mara. Mara is a state. Everything that happens in this Parsha is happening in a 10-mile radius. It's just desert. It's a Sahara. I mean, it's not the Sahara, but just say it's a Sahara. So, listen to the Pasuk again. They, they can't, Midbar Shur. What's Midbar Shur? So, again, Targum Yonason says, Madra de Chalutza, which, which means it's the, um, it's the desert of legions. Chalutzim is what we call, what we say to the Bnei Gad and the Bnei Ruvain when they have to go into the land of Israel, Nachnu Na'avor Chalutzim. It means trailblazers. They entered the desert of trailblazing. Again, it's a mental state. It's, you can say that there's a midbar called Shur, but that's not the point. The point is that the purpose of their entering into the desert was to be chalutzim, to be trailblazers through, straight through into the land of Israel. However, for three days, it fell apart. And they came from a state of trailblazers to a state of bitterness. And they couldn't drink the water from bitterness. Because they're bitter. Because they are bitter. Who's they are bitter? The water? I suspect not. They can't drink the water in Mara because they are bitter. Why are the waters bitter? Because the Jews are bitter. And that's why they called it bitter. So, so the people complained to Moshe, what are we going to drink? So what does Hashem give them? By Oreo Hashem eats. Hashem gives them a tree. And they throw it into the water, and it becomes sweet. Sham sam lo choku mishpat v'sham nisavu. There he gave them chok and mishpat, and there he tested them. So, famous Rashi, side of the Gemara, that there he gave them Shabbos, and Paraduma, and Tzmachlokas, the Gemara, so we say, keep it up aim, and it's like, okay, so you threw a tree in the water? Why do you need to throw a tree in the water? It's very strange, you got to throw a tree in the water. And you have this whole big machlokas as to what it is that was taught in Mara. But you understand that whatever you say it is, whether it was uh, Dinim or whether it's Paraduma or whether it's Shabbos or whether it's um, Kibra of Aim, wh- aren't you going to say that on Sinai? I'm sorry, I'm so confused. Like, if the Torah give it on Sinai, yeah, but we just want to give you these first. These are the pre-mitzvah, mitzvahs, mitzvahs, mitzvahs. Why? 
Why? We're going to the mountain, and on the mountain, we're going to get all 613. Don't you worry. We just want to give you four or five right now, like a down payment. Why? And and if you're going to have a machlokas over which one they are, you know what the Torah could have done? If the Torah wanted you to know which mitzvahs the Jews got in Mara, you know what it could have said? How about this? The mitzvahs the Jews got there. Could have done that. Right? Why does it have to say, Sham sam lo choku mishpat, v'sham nisahu? There he gave them choku mishpat, and you're like, well, what does choku mean? And what does mishpat mean? You have a whole machlokas, but it means this and that. Why don't you just say, Sham sam lo dinim v'par aduma? <coughs> Done. The answer, I think, or maybe an answer, or maybe a piece of an answer. You know, eights, obviously, is is a reference to Torah. Yeah, like you know that. Eights high and he. Yeah, it's an um, I, I believe that, but but you see, the the water is also is also a reference for Torah. Hmm, that's weird. So it's like the water is already Torah, and now you're throwing the Torah in the Torah. You have to throw the eights in the water, which is you're throwing the Torah in the Torah. That's weird. So, of course, it, it must mean that the water and the tree are referring to different aspects of Torah. And that's why you need two metaphors where one will not suffice. You understand? I'm not going to tell you what they mean because I don't understand yet. What they mean. But, but that much I can tell you. They're different pieces of it. So once this understanding of Torah came to the Torah, now it became sweet for them. Well, that's not hard to relate to, that idea, because, you know, again, I think we've all been there. Unless unless you're so excellent at suspending your belief, um, when you're told to do things, like religious things, and it's not explained to you, and it doesn't connect with you, it's bitter. And then when it's injected with meaning, it's sweet. And you want to do it. Um, that, that's where I would start with this. Now, why, why does it say, um, why does it say that there he gave him cloak and mishpat and it doesn't tell you which cloak and which mishpat? Obviously, because the point is not which. The point is not which. The point is the categories. The point is that the Jews were exposed to the category of Chok and the category of Mishpat. And they were told that as long as you adhere to the category of Chok and the category of Mishpat, you won't have these problems. That's what they're told. So then you have a Machlokas. Okay, which one is the paradigmatic one that we're trying to bring out here? That is ancillary. That's why the Torah doesn't tell you which ones they were. Well, hmm. I know we're running out of time, and I want to take questions. Before we take questions and comments and thoughts, just just one more thing, because I think we have to get this. Like, the Jews are asking at the end of the parsha, "Hayesha Shem Bekirbeinu." That's a that's a hard pill to swallow. That's a hard pill to swallow. You like there's a little bit of bread coming out of the heavens for you, and like landing in your basket, and you're like, hmm, "I wonder if God's here." What? What? How do you wrap your head around a question like that? It's such a crazy question. Bread is coming out of the sky. Seas are splitting. Water is bursting out of rocks. And you're like, maybe Moshe's really David Copperfield. No, that's not what's happening. 
what's happening is the operative question that the Jews are asking is not whether or not God exists. They're asking if Hashem is Bikir Benu. They're asking about their relationship with God. Meaning, meaning. Of course, this is why Rashi brings that uh, insane mushal. You know, what role did the Jews have in the Makos of Egypt? I'll give you a hint. None. None. Zero. Zero. The only time the Jews got involved in the movement was the aborted false start from Parsha Shmos. The Jews have not been active participants in any of this. This is something that's happening to Paro. It's not about them. It's about Paro. The only guy that they got going for them is Mo. So this is about two people. Moshe and Paro. It's not about them. That's why they keep complaining to Moshe. What does Moshe say every time? Maybe they'll understand. Why are you fighting with me? Why are you testing God? He doesn't understand why they're not understanding. Well, why are they not understanding? Of course they're talking to you, Moshe. Because what does this have to do with God? When we have a problem, we come to you, and you solve it. And Moshe's like, no, dummy. It's not me. It's God. And stop talking to me, because everything's going to be taken care of, because God loves you. They don't get that. So they can see all the miracles in the world. They're like, yes, we know. Hashem loves Moshe, and he's many, many miracles, and there's all these great things. What does that have to do with me? What does that have to do with me? But it's fascinating, isn't it? Because where does God not show up at all? God doesn't bust Amalek for them. They have to do that. Isn't that interesting? So Moshe's hands are pointed up. This is going to be the beginning of an understanding for you of why he's doing this. As long as Moshe's hands are pointed up, they can do it. God doesn't shoot lightning bolts at the Amaleks like he does at the Egyptians. Rashi's mashal about Amalek, when they say, Hayish Hashem Ayan, he says that it's like a kid that's riding on his father's shoulders, and, uh, you know, he's like, hey, give me that, give me, oh, I see, a, I see a, a cool toy there, give me the Power Ranger, give me the Teletubby, give me the Beanie Baby, and then all of a sudden, um, a guy comes by, and the kid says to him, excuse me, have you seen my daddy? And daddy's like, you don't know where I am? And daddy throws him down, and he gets bitten by a dog. That's like a really strange mushal. But, of course, one piece of that mushal is that God is your father the whole time, and you're standing on his shoulders. That's the point. But you don't realize that. But don't you know you're on somebody's shoulders? Yes. Of course you know you're on somebody's shoulders. It never occurred to you for a second that that's your daddy. You didn't think it had anything to do with daddy. You're on a train. This is how a train goes. It's just the beginning because this is a very, very dense part. They're all dense. I know. They're all dense. They're all packed. They're all awesome. That's a good beginning. And we have a few moments. We'll take some questions before I run to the call. Thoughts, questions, aspirations, verbalizations, ideas? Yes. Yes. His brothers. He made his brothers promise to make their children promise. Uh, it was, but they didn't do it. Oh, they didn't think he wanted to stay there. I think they didn't want him. That's what I'm saying. They didn't want him. 
Because they saw him as Egyptian. Yeah, he's Egyptian. He's part of the problem. We, we, the whole the whole problem with um, with them entering into servitude is because of Yosef. So they saw it. I mean, that's a theory. I don't know how to be the case, but um, it's it's the what do you know, what do you not know game. Here's what you know: you know that Yosef made them swear, and no one else did. Well, why? Obviously, because he thought they'd leave him there. And guess what? They did. <laughs> right. So, so however you want to answer that, whether it's because eh, okay, so I'm I'm understanding because he's the ultimate Egyptian man, which is why Moshe takes him out. Fine, that's whatever. That's my understanding. Come up with a different understanding, but but structurally, it's clear that like <laughs> they left him, man. Like, what do you mean they left him there? No one knew where he was buried. No one cared. They had to go to Sarah Plas Usher to find who, it, and then they, who, who left him there? Yeah, everyone. The, his children. When did they get out? Um, with everyone else. Right. So what do you mean they left him there? They didn't, Moshe had to take him. Why is Moshe, the, my own, remember, Dun, Dun was taken by his kids. Zvon was taken by his kids. Usher was taken by his kids. Itchem. Yeah, the, the Gemara understands it from, from the word with you. So with you means you're going out, take me with you. But no, again, it doesn't mention anyone else other than that. Right? Why? Because it doesn't have to. It's obvious that you take Zadie out. Have an amazing Shabbos. Yes, another question.